0: To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Spoken Edition of Wired. While You Were Offline Trump's Nuclear Tweet and Other Hot Button Issues by Graham McMillan. Happy New Year, dear readers. It's comforting. No, wait, what's opposite of comforting? to see that, despite still being able to laugh at Oregonians and gas problems and accidental movie reference mix-ups in news reports, 2018 actually got off to a terrifyingly fast start. Even though we took a week off for the holidays, everything you're about to read has happened in the past seven days. Whatever happened to starting things off nice and slow, huh? Turns out that never happens on the Internet. So here, as always, are the craziest things that went down online in the last week. Hot-button issues. What happened? Everyone who had the specter of nuclear apocalypse will be heralded by penis envy in the How the World Ends office pool. Congratulations. It might have happened decades later than expected, but it's on, apparently. What really happened? So, North Korea's Kim Jong-un delivered a New Year's speech early last week that was filled with mixed messages for the international community. On one hand, he suggested that North Korea would be open to negotiations with South Korea and participate in the upcoming Olympics. On the other, he also said that it was not a mere threat but a reality that he has a nuclear button in his office and that all of the mainland United States is within the range of our nuclear strike. Okay, so that's not good. It also, naturally, provoked a response from President Trump. He tweeted, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I too have a nuclear button, but it is a much bigger and more powerful one than his, and my button works? Yes, that's a real tweet from the real President of the United States something that Twitter tried hard to understand and contextualize after it happened. Peter J. Hansen tweeted, Kim Jong-un talking about his nuclear button aired on CNN immediately before Trump's tweet, in case you were wondering what Trump's watching tonight. Maggie Haberman tweeted, Also, there's a red button for Diet Cokes. Andrew Wheeler tweeted, Yours only looks bigger because your hands are small. Like, really tweeted, Corn cobbing has gone nuclear. Dan Pfeiffer tweeted, Let's try not to be concerned that Trump got tangled up in a button measuring metaphor. Dave Itzkoff tweeted, I'm ready for 2019 now, thanks. Jason O. Gilbert tweeted, Trump, so this button launches a nuclear warhead? General Kelly, handing him a Staples easy button with the word bomb scrawled across it in Sharpie. Absolutely. Hunter Schwartz tweeted, Teddy Roosevelt. Speak softly and carry a big stick. Donald Trump. Tweet loudly and boast about the size of your nuclear button. As the media tried to come to terms with Trump's tweet, one wonderful fact started to become clear. Despite Trump's boast, there is no button. It's actually a suitcase that contains the launch codes. The takeaway? After it sunk in that Trump threatened nuclear apocalypse over a minds-bigger-than-yours argument and some non-existent buttons... People moved on to being concerned about his state of mind. Digby tweeted, Seriously, has something happened? He's been tweeting all day, and it's all just Looney Tunes nuts, even by Trump standards. What's going on? Cover to covered. What happened? Early snippets of a new book about the first year of the Trump administration began hitting the Internet last week. They did not come and go quietly. What really happened? Perhaps the strangest story last week started with a pre-release news report about Fire and Fury, a then-upcoming book by journalist Michael Wolff, covering the early days of Trump's administration, in which former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon was quoted saying some quite inflammatory things. In particular, that Bannon called the infamous July 2016 meeting between Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, Donald Trump Jr., and a Russian lawyer, treasonous and unpatriotic. That was, of course, the same meeting that has been repeatedly downplayed as entirely innocent by the White House, despite it clearly being anything but. Unsurprisingly, social media was here for the Bannon talk. Jake Tapper tweeted, Interesting that Bannon called the meeting treasonous and unpatriotic. Breitbart claimed it was a giant red herring. Kyle Cheney tweeted, Also, these Bannon quotes completely undermine 1.5 years of Trump denials and Breitbart coverage, deriding the Russia investigations as a Democratic hoax. He's saying there's a there, there. Tim Miller tweeted, Bannon admits to the big con about Breitbart, not a legitimate publication, with this quote from The Guardian. Bannon went on, Wolf writes, to say that if any such meeting had to take place, it should have been set up in a Holiday Inn in Manchester, New Hampshire, with your lawyers who meet with these people. Any information, he said, could then be dumped down to Breitbart or something like that, or maybe some other more legitimate publication. Amanda Carpenter tweeted, Honestly, the only thing I don't get is how Steve Bannon, of all people, publicly came to these conclusions before Congressional GOP did. Those of you thinking, I bet Donald Trump didn't take that well, you're right. But surprisingly, he didn't respond via Twitter. Instead, he replied via an official White House statement, which just so happened to sound like an overlong tweet. Statement from the President of the United States Steve Bannon has nothing to do with me or my presidency. When he was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. Steve was a staffer who worked for me after I had already won the nomination by defeating 17 candidates, often described as the most talented field ever assembled in the Republican Party. Now that he is on his own, Steve is learning that winning isn't as easy as I make it look. Steve had very little to do with our historic victory, which was delivered by the forgotten men and women of this country. Yet Steve had everything to do with the loss of a Senate seat in Alabama held for more than 30 years by Republicans. Steve doesn't represent my base. He's only in it for himself. Steve pretends to be at war with the media, which he calls the opposition party, yet he spent his time at the White House leaking false information to the media to make himself seem far more important than he was. It is the only thing he does well. Steve was rarely in a one-on-one meeting with me and only pretends to have had influence to fool a few people with no access and no clue whom he helped write phony books. We have many great Republican members of Congress and candidates who are very supportive of the Make America Great Again agenda. Like me, they love the United States of America, and are helping to finally take our country back and build it up, rather than simply seeking to burn it all down. Jennifer Epstein tweeted, Trump totally tortures Bannon. When he was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. Full statement. Eli Stokols tweeted, Trump disavowing and trashing Bannon is interesting, not just as reality TV drama. His initial response is not to dispute Wolf's reporting or the substance of Bannon's treason claim. Of course, the White House wasn't always quite as dismissive of Bannon's contributions as many pointed out. Ann Rosen tweeted from Kellyanne Conway six days after the election in 2016 Steve Bannon is really the general, the field general, in our successful campaign effort. A brilliant tactician and serves President elect Donald Trump very well. But it wasn't enough to call Bannon mentally unfit. After all, surely there were other ways to try and neutralize him as a potential threat to the Trump regime. Carol Leonik tweeted, Exclusive, lawyers for at-real Donald Trump sending a cease-and-desist letter to former senior advisor Steve Bannon tonight, arguing he has violated an NDA with his comments in New Wolf Book. Jesse Ferguson tweeted, Trump responds to Bannon calling them treasonous. 1. Bannon had no access and knew nothing in our administration, so this is all false. 2. Bannon had so much access and knew so much stuff that we made him sign an NDA not to talk about it. Hmm... Matt Ortega tweeted, Trump lawyer sends cease and desist letter to former senior strategists that, hours ago, they claimed had no influence. Renato Mariotti tweeted, The most interesting language in this letter is the claim that Bannon made disparaging statements and, in some cases, outright defamatory statements. That implies that some of his Bannon statements were not defamatory. In other words, they were true, or his own opinion. That's certainly an option, but back to that Michael Wolff book, which had three lengthy excerpts published across Wednesday and Thursday last week, ahead of its planned release, one of which even preemptively tried to head off criticism about Wolf's sources. Zeke Miller tweeted, This sourcing note is something, with the attached. This story is adapted from Michael Wolf's book, Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House, to be published by Henry Holt and Company on January 9th. Wolf, who chronicles the administration from Election Day to this past October, conducted conversations and interviews over a period of 18 months with the president, most members of his senior staff, and many people to whom they in turn spoke. Shortly after Trump's inauguration, Wolf says he was able to take up something like a semi-permanent seat on a couch in the West Wing. An idea encouraged by the president himself, because no one was in a position to either officially approve or formally deny such access, Wolf became more a constant interloper than an invited guest. There were no ground rules placed on his access, and he was required to make no promises about how he would report on what he witnessed. Since then, he conducted more than 200 interviews. In true Trumpian fashion, the administration's lack of experience and disdain for political norms made for a hodgepodge of journalistic challenges. Information would be provided off the record or on deep background, then casually put on the record. Sources would fail to set any parameters on the use of a conversation or would provide accounts in confidence only to subsequently share their views widely. And the president's own views, private as well as public, were constantly shared by others. The adaptation presented here offers a front-row view of Trump's presidency from his improvised transition to his first months in the Oval Office. Of course, that didn't stop criticism of Wolf's reporting from appearing, There is a step beyond simple criticism, though, as everyone was reminded when Trump's lawyer hit Wolf's publisher, Henry Holt, with a cease and desist notice. And how did that go over? Patrick S. Tomlinson tweeted, I can pretty much guarantee Henry Holt is holding Trump's cease and desist letter in one hand, while the other holds phone with the printers and telling them to double the run. Dan Murphy tweeted, Oh, what I'd give to be part of the team of lawyers and PR people at Henry Holt drafting the response to Trump's cease and desist letter. Brian Stelter tweeted, New statement from at Henry Holt responding to Trump's cease and desist letter. We see Fire and Fury as an extraordinary contribution to our national discourse and are proceeding with the publication of the book. Chris Sillizak tweeted, And also thank you to President Trump for driving book sales through the roof. Well, that all worked out perfectly then. Michael Wolf tweeted, "Here we go. You can buy it and read it tomorrow. Thank you, Mr. President." The takeaway: Remember, this is just one of the upcoming Trump books in the pipeline. Ronica clearly tweeted, "How do you think the White House will react when At Omarosa publishes her book?" More reaction from At Press Sec and FLOTUS, Communications Director. The book is clearly going to be sold in the bargain fiction section. Air traffic control. What happened? While the President of the United States is undoubtedly powerful, does he really control the safety of all the commercial flights in the entire world? The answer might shock you, if you're Donald Trump. What really happened? Elsewhere in the world of what is Donald Trump tweeting about now, the Aviation Safety Network revealed last week that 2017 had been the safest year in aviation history with zero passenger flight crashes throughout the entire year around the world. It's undoubtedly great news, and something that Trump couldn't help but comment upon. He tweeted, Since taking office, I've been very strict on commercial aviation. Good news, it was just reported that there were zero deaths in 2017, the best and safest year on record. Twitter? Have you got this? Josh Dossie tweeted, Taking credit for planes not crashing. Alex Griswold tweeted, My pilot over Thanksgiving was about to nosedive into the Potomac, But remember, Trump would be mad at him. Dino Badala tweeted, Actually, Trump just ended an airline regulation in November that protected customers. David Friedlander tweeted, In his first month, Trump hampered the ability of the FAA to issue safety orders and withdrew a rule about inspecting plane fuselages for cracks. Kurt Eichenwald tweeted, Trump tweeted that he deserves credit for no commercial airline crashes in 2017. What else can I add to that? The man is either insane or trolling the world. He also tweeted, Since Trump thinks presidents control airline crashes, thank Obama. No crashes of an American airline carrier since 2009. Unless Trump is taking credit for the safety of foreign airlines, this shows once again that he takes credit without bothering to learn facts. This is nuts. Daniel Lynn tweeted, The guy claiming credit for U.S. aviation safety once ran an airline that touted superior safety. Three months after its first flight, it crash-landed. Igor Bobek tweeted, The last major overhaul of airline safety actually took place during the Obama administration. Handsome Mustache Boy tweeted, The worst part about Trump taking credit for airline safety is that earlier last year, he tried to fucking privatize air traffic control, and it was shut down because it's too dangerous. Plenty of reports noted that Trump was claiming credit for something he had nothing to do with, and even White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders got in on the gag. Philip Rucker tweeted, Trump took credit for no commercial airline deaths in 2017. Sanders dodges at Peter Alexander's question, asking whether Obama deserves credit for no commercial airline deaths since 2009. All of this might have you wondering, hey, who is in charge of aviation safety anyway? To wit, Joe Wisenthal tweeted, This is brutal. Trump takes credit for air safety system that's being run by an Obama holdover? The takeaway. While we're on the topic of safety in 2017, here's something the president might want to comment on, even if he likely never will. Patrick S. Tomlinson tweeted, Since Trump took credit for no airline deaths last year, he must also take blame for the spike in coal mining deaths, where he actually rolled back safety and environmental regs. Down the hatch. What happened? Utah made a surprisingly early bid to become the battleground state of 2018. What really happened? It wasn't just presidential politics that started 2018 fired up and ready to go. On January 2nd, the number of Republican figures planning to escape Washington increased yet again. Senator Hatch's office tweeted, An announcement from Senator Orrin G. Hatch, which included a video of him announcing his retirement. Okay, it's not like this was entirely unrelated to the president, given that Hatch famously called Trump's reign the greatest presidency we have seen, not only in generations, but maybe ever, back in November. And as the New York Times' Maggie Haberman points out, Hatch's retirement could be seen as a loss for the president. She tweeted, Trump backed Strange, who lost, more who lost, urged Hatch not to retire, he is, but Trump played down that possibility when responding to the news nonetheless. He tweeted, Congratulations to Senator Orrin Hatch on an absolutely incredible career. He has been a tremendous supporter, and I will never forget the beyond kind statements he has made about me as president. He is my friend, and he will be greatly missed in the U.S. Senate. On a practical level, Hatch's retirement would mean more than simply a new face in the Senate, as was pointed out by some on Twitter. Yasher Ali tweeted, Now that Senator Hatch has announced his intention to retire at the end of this term, That means the senator from Mississippi, at Sen Thad Cochran, is next in line to serve as President Pro Tem of the U.S. Senate, which means he will be third in line to the presidency after VP and Speaker Ryan. But that wasn't necessarily all, it seemed. Christopher Ingraham tweeted, Last month, Politico reported that Senate colleagues have expressed concern over Cochran's mental decline. Okay, maybe he'll go too. But then, who follows? Kyle Cheney tweeted, if Hatch and Cochran retire, at Chuck Grassley would be the new Senate president pro tempore, and who could end up replacing Hatch? At TrivWorks tweeted, Mitt Romney when Orrin Hatch announces his retirement. Alex Burns tweeted, Hatch retiring and Romney walking into the seat is about the cleanest possible scenario for Senate leadership and the most aggravating scenario imaginable for Trump. Huh, wonder what he has to say for himself. Mitt Romney tweeted, I joined the people of Utah in thanking my friend Senator Orrin Hatch for his more than 40 years of service to our great state and nation. Read my full statement. Walter Shapiro tweeted, In a 50-50 Senate, a plausible outcome to the 2018 elections, Senator Romney of Utah would create an anti-Trump majority, even with VP Pence, on all matters relating to presidential misdeeds. Matt Weiser tweeted, Romney is likely to run for U.S. Senate in Utah, but it hasn't made a final decision, and nothing's imminent. Top advisor tells me, I don't think this week or next week. There's no immediate rush. Soon, Hatch had given his support to a potential Romney run, while the speculation about such a thing started to mount amongst the media. Maybe this is just the way 2018 is going to go. The takeaway? Looks like there is political life after a failed presidential run after all. Well, at least for some people. Amanda Littman tweeted, Hillary gets told to shut up and take up knitting. Mick gets told to run for U.S. Senate. Hmm. Logan Paul's very bad vlog. What happened? Meanwhile, last week, a YouTuber discovered that filming in a place known as Suicide Forest is not in good taste. This should probably have been obvious. What really happened? In, well, not exactly lighter news, but certainly not political news, YouTube star Logan Paul dominated the start of the year by posting a video of himself in Aokigahara, the so-called suicide forest, on the slopes of Mount Fuji in Japan. The 15-minute video, since deleted, blurred out what appeared to be a corpse before Paul told the camera, "Suicide is not a joke," and that the video, which was supposed to be a fun vlog, had obviously just became very real. Too real for many it turned out. Amanda tweeted at Logan Paul you find a dead body from someone who committed suicide hours ago and you decide to film his body and put it on YouTube seconds after you laugh and joke like nothing happened? Where is your respect? Do you have any? I'm deeply disgusted. Nelly tweeted, Logan Paul exploited a person's suicide and filmed the body after knowing the person was actually dead. If you can stand that, you're disgusting. Logan Paul is disgusting. Pushing Up Roses tweeted, It is important to discuss mental illness, suicide awareness, and suicide prevention in a way that can help and educate people. Logan Paul is a disrespectful piece of garbage who further glorified something horrible under the guise of, there's help for you. Take action. Aaron Paul tweeted, Dear at Logan Paul, How dare you? You disgust me. I can't believe that so many young people look up to you. So sad. Hopefully this latest video woke them up. You are pure trash, plain and simple. Suicide is not a joke. Go rot in hell. The backlash led to Paul deleting the video and posting an apology to fans. Dear Internet, Where do I begin? Let's start with this. I'm sorry. This is a first for me. I've never faced criticism like this before, because I've never made a mistake like this before. I'm surrounded by good people and believe I make good decisions, but I'm still a human being. I can be wrong. I didn't do it for views. I get views. I did it because I thought I could make a positive ripple on the Internet, not cause a monsoon of negativity. That's never the intention. I decided to raise awareness for suicide and suicide prevention, and while I thought, if this video saves just one life, it'll be worth it, I was misguided by shock and awe as portrayed in the video. I still am. I do this SH star T every day, I've made a 15-minute TV show every single day for the past 460-plus days. One may understand that it's easy to get caught up in the moment without fully weighing the possible ramifications. I'm often reminded of how big a reach I truly have, and with great power comes great responsibility. For the first time in my life, I'm regretful to say I handled that power incorrectly. It won't happen again. I love everyone. I believe in people. I am out here. Peace. It's fair to say that people weren't too impressed. Tory tweeted, This apology is 221 words. He refers to himself 27 times. The word sorry appears one time. This is not remorse. This is regret. Logan Paul is not sorry. Joey tweeted, As someone who lives in Japan, has Japanese family, and has filmed a video in the suicide forest, the amount of disrespect Logan Paul showed in his video is honestly sickening. No amount of demonetizing or like if you feel sad can excuse what he did. Really disappointing. Anna Akana tweeted, Dear at Logan Paul, When my brother found my sister's body, he screamed with horror and confusion and grief and tried to save her. That body was a person someone loved. You do not walk into a suicide forest with a camera and claim mental health awareness. Lizard tweeted, I had to correct Logan Paul's apology. I noticed a few mistakes. Let's start with this. I'm only sorry because I'm getting backlash. This is a first for me, but not the Paul family. I've never been faced with criticism like this before, but my brother certainly has. I'm surrounded by people who are just as thirsty for views as I am, and believe me, I will certainly make excuses and not truly apologize. I'm going to bring up being human because that is relatable, and I'm trying to maintain relevancy. I did it for views. Believe me, I try to say I didn't, But hey, the Pauls are known for being kind of shitbags. I thought I could get away with it, considering I was in YouTube Rewind, but now I'll proceed to brag and not actually apologize. I mean, I'm pretty surprised I didn't link my channel in this apology. I often have to be reminded that kids look up to me. I mean, I'm very, very, very forgetful that people below the age of 13 watch my videos. This won't happen again. Actually, it might. I'm always in this for shock value and views. It is my brand. I love views and money, but that's rude, so I'll say everyone. I believe in the power of clickbait. Peace. I'll add an emoji to make it seem less serious. Hashtag Logan off of YouTube. As the story broke across mainstream media outlets in the following days, Paul offered a second apology. Others, meanwhile, turned their attention to YouTube and its part in hosting the video and controlling the subsequent conversation. Nick Monroe tweeted, Either YouTube is outright lying to CNN or CNN is lying to the public. At trustflaggers, screenshot indicates YouTube slash Google staff reviewed Logan Paul's video and took no action. Markey tweeted, I've seen seven videos so far that have been taken down because they spoke about the Logan Paul situation. YouTube really are trying to keep this squeaky clean representation of Logan, aren't they? Quinta B. tweeted, At YouTube, y'all might want to suspend Logan Paul's account. His apology means nothing. Your response means everything. I know, he makes you all a lot of money, but you can afford to lose a dime or two. So can he. And then he was gone. Logan Paul tweeted, Taking time to reflect. No vlog for now. See you soon. The conversation and controversy, of course, continues. The takeaway? Remember when we were all so much more innocent? Atalia Pritchard tweeted, The one good thing about 2017 was that I had no idea who Logan Paul was back then.